So let's go ahead and jump into the Word this morning. We are in week four already of our Moving Towards Maturity series. We've been kind of spending the time over the last several weeks looking at this idea of growth and maturing and kind of allowing the idea of movement to kind of help us to see how we're doing that and things like that. Our kind of scripture verse, our, our main verse that we've been looking at uh, throughout this series has been found in Hebrews uh, 6.1. The first part of that, it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. We, we kind of been talking about is this concept that, that, you know, things that are growing or moving, things that are moving or growing, and kind of how that we can allow some of these habits and, and, and things to kind of enter into our heart and our lives to, to help us in many, many ways. But obviously one of them is in our growth, growing closer to the Lord and growing up in Him. And, and basically, not that the writer of Hebrews here is saying the elementary teachings of the faith are wrong or bad. I think sometimes it's, it's a good idea for us to kind of go back over those things and remember those things and, and, and to kind of look at some of those things. But if we stay there, if we kind of stay, if this will make sense to you, in, in second grade spiritually, we're not really growing like we should. And so we allow the elementary teachings of Christ to be a building block, to be a foundation that we also uh, kind of build our lives upon as we grow in him. And I think that's very important that we do. This morning, we're going to be looking in Mark, the sixth chapter. We're going to be talking about a story that honestly, many of you have heard, many of you know. In fact, it's one of these stories because there's not a lot of them actually to let you know that is actually recorded in all four gospels. Uh, it's not necessarily, that's not necessarily normal. Some of the things that Matthew or Mark or Luke bring up, and usually they're kind of more, kind of have some of the same, or same stories. John doesn't always bring up, and some of the stories that John brings up, they don't bring up. But this is actually one of those stories that we actually see throughout all the Gospels, along with um, the obviously the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is kind of a big deal. This is a story that, that maybe you've heard talked about a lot or preached on quite a bit. It's a story that many of you know. In fact, if I went out probably on the street somewhere in Denver or even in Broomfield and began to just ask people, hey, do you know this story? I'll bet you most people could kind of rattle off a little bit of the story and know even a little bit about it. But it's also a story that I think has a lot of meaning and, a lot, and it helps us to understand a couple of things that I want to pull out of that story this morning. And so we're going to look here together. We're going to start in Mark 6. Now again, this story is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I could have pulled from those stories. And in fact, I may take some of those things that maybe another disciple recorded that's not in Mark uh, and kind of talk about it a little bit. Uh, obviously, each person kind of shares their the story, uh, kind of how they see it, but all of it is congruent together. But we're going to be in Mark 6. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 6, and also it'll be up on the screen up here together. So Mark 6, we're going to start with verse number 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So verse number 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. It's a very interesting kind of story here. Now, let me kind of give you a little background before we kind of finish the story out. Depending on which, um, which gospel you use, one thing that we find is that basically the story is kind of got a timeline to it. And so obviously the disciples have been out, they've been ministering. But also, uh, Matthew especially mentions this, also Jesus has just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. He's been killed by Herod. And so in, in Matthew's account of the, this story, basically it takes place right after that. Jesus is, is pretty upset, obviously, as you would be. And so his disciples and him, because they're tired, because of the emotional strain of all the things that are happening, Jesus says, hey, let's get away. Let's just get away from it a little bit. Let's get away. They get into a boat and they head off. Well, the crowds hear about this and they, they, they get there, which I always thought was interesting to me. Like, why didn't Jesus just walk if the crowds could get there faster? And maybe they could run. I don't know. But Jesus gets in the boat. And when he gets there, this crowd has already basically begun to assemble. And so even though Jesus is tired, even though Jesus is emotionally spent on many, many levels, he still looks at them. He has compassion on them. He begins to teach them. Matthew actually records he begins to heal them as well. And so we see this, this healing and this teaching and this ministering beginning to take place. And as this is going on, it's getting later and later and later. His disciples look at him and say, hey, listen, um, this is getting kind of late. Like, like this is a remote place, kind of out in the middle of nowhere here. Um, send the people away so they can get something to eat. It's, it's a very normal, very natural response to a situation and to a crowd. Listen, they're going to get hungry. Send them off. Let's stop this so they can get some food for them. But then Jesus responds to this very natural, very normal thing, and he says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now let's continue on with the second part of verse 37. He says, they said to him, meaning the disciples to Jesus, that would take eight months of a man's wage. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give, them, uh, give it to them to eat? Jesus answered, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. I love how it says green grass. It was, it was green, obviously, not, not dead or whatever, green grass. So they went down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you so much for this time. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to, to look at your word together, to, to study it and to allow you to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And God, we do ask for that to take place. God, that we would, we would open our hearts and our minds to you and to what you desire to help us to learn so that we can grow, 
so that we can move towards maturity in these areas of our lives. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Like I said earlier, this is very much a story that we've heard a lot. I know that in, in kind of dealing with some of these stories, I, I have kind of learned something in my own life. Now, this may work for you. It may not work for you. But I would, I would encourage you to try this, especially with stories that maybe you've heard a lot in Scripture. And that is I begin to ask questions about the story. I try to kind of put some humanity on the people. I kind of try to kind of almost transplant myself and kind of put myself in the story to kind of say, is there something here I'm not seeing? Is there something here that I'm missing? And again, this is a story that many of us have heard. It's the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, what's interesting about the story is we learn that the 5,000 are just men. Most of the time in things that I've read and studied as far as uh, what some, some, some scholars have thought is they think that probably when it really was, if everybody was actually counted, there was probably about 15 to 20,000 people that were fed. I mean, I don't know if you understand how many, how, much, how many groups of people that is. Basically, what I did was I kind of thought about that. I was like, how can I make that look or, or kind of come to make sense in your own mind? And so actually, I looked on, um, on the internet, basically. I found that Ball Arena, where the Nuggets and the, and the Avalanche play. Now, depending on what they have going on there, it can be a little bit different. But basically, what I found out was that there's about, it's about 19,000 people can fit in that arena, okay? Give or take a few hundred or whatever, depending on what they got in there probably. But think about that for a second. So, so Jesus here has been teaching, he's been healing, and also think about this idea that he's been doing this for a while where they got over there and they've been doing this all day, they're tired, and there's a bunch of people. There's about a, a stadium full or arena full of people that they're looking at. And so in this story, what I've tended to do is try to begin to say, well, let's talk about it. Let's kind of break it down. Let's look at it together in a way where we're kind of looking at some, some questions and kind of understanding the whole arching uh, idea of what is actually taking place so maybe we can allow the Lord through the Holy Spirit to maybe uncover some things that we may not have seen before. So again, you're talking about an arena full of people and they get there and they're hungry and the disciples have realized this. Maybe they're walking around the crowd and I don't know about you, but you know the stomachs begin to rumble and all these sort of things and they begin to realize, hey, this is going to be a problem. So as we kind of get into this this morning, I want to look at some questions concerning this well-known story to maybe help us bring out some things that we may not have seen before. Question number one that I was thinking about as I was putting this together, why did the disciples want to send the people away? I think that's a normal question. Now, obviously, you could say, well, they were hungry. Yeah, probably. But I don't know, you know, like if you're like me, there's usually... One answer, but there's also usually several others that go along with it as well. So yeah, probably the people were hungry, and I'm sure they were concerned about that. But I think there's a little bit more. I, I could see totally the disciples just kind of being, just kind of tired. You know, they've been working all day. They've been out in the sun all day. I mean, they've been, they've been going through all these things. Obviously, Mark's gospel says they just kind of came back from kind of a ministry outing, basically. Jesus is going through all these things. They're going through all these things. Some of Jesus' disciples were actually John's disciples before that. So they're close with John too. So they're hurting inside. So they're maybe just emotionally and physically just spent. And they're just like, you know, can we just, can we just have some quiet time for a while? Can we just kind of send them away? Maybe that was the reason. Maybe they were actually afraid. Like, like they were trying to protect Jesus. You know what I mean? Like Jesus had, got, had, had to have been exhausted. 
He had to have been tired. He's, he's ministering, he's teaching, he's healing, he's doing all these things. And maybe the disciples are just like, man, they're trying to protect Jesus, you know? Or maybe, and, and you know, we all kind of get there, maybe they were just done with people for a while, you know? Like, come on, I mean, you know, you know like you have a, you have, you have, I don't know if you know this, I'm going to tell you right now, you have like a people limit. Okay, some of you know your people limit. Some of you realize it a little too late, you know, but we all have a people limit and it's like you kind of go and you kind of go and, and then you kind of just like, you know what? I love you, but can I love you from someplace else right now? Like, can you just give me some time? And maybe the disciples were just at that place where they had just kind of reached their people limit and they were just like, you know what? We just, we just need some time to rest. Remember, the reason why they were even going over here is to try to give them some time to rest, to kind of give them a quiet place to rest. So obviously they're tired. They're wore out. They're ready to take a little bit of a break. So they probably, with all those things, or maybe even more, they're wanting to send the people away. But question number two, what if Jesus had agreed to send the crowds away? What if Jesus said, you know, you're right. Like, this is just too much. I, I, I'm going through all these things. I, you're right. Let's just, let's just send them on their way. Let's just, thank you for coming out. You know, just close the service down, you know, and just move on. Well, first of all, if, if Jesus did that, I probably, well, no, I, I could feel pretty confident I would not be sharing uh, this story this morning. I'd be talking about something different. But also, this story that is literally, you know, obviously put in every gospel wouldn't be there. If Jesus had just said, you know what, you're right, I'm tired. You know what, I'm done. You know what, I've done my part. I've done enough. You're right. Let's just send them on their way. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that there's not a good time and that you ought to rest and there ought to be opportunities for that. But at the same time, in this moment, Jesus rejected that and said no. He said, you know what, we're not going to send them away. And in fact, he takes one step more and he basically says, we're going to, or you to his disciples, are going to provide something to keep them here, which is a crazy thing. Because remember, they're looking out. Like sometimes, again, when we've heard these stories before, maybe we saw them on a flannel board at one particular time. Like it's hard to comprehend this. It's hard to be the disciple that looks out and says, listen, there's like 15,000 people out here on this hillside. What do you mean give them something to eat? Like, you, we forget how that would just be so amazing to look at. You know, look at Jesus like, Jesus, no, no, Jesus, send them away. We can't do this. It's too big for us. But Jesus says, no. And he doesn't send them away. The third question, and this is interesting, and this is really kind of where we're going to park to an extent this morning. Why did Jesus want to include the disciples in this? Now, I want you to stop and I want you to think about this, okay? Why didn't Jesus just say, listen, you know what? You're right. There's 15,000 so people. They're hungry. We're not going to send them away. And Jesus just prays to God. And all of a sudden, you know, 15,000 Chick-fil-A sandwiches appear in their hands. He could have done it. He could have done it. He didn't need the disciples' help. He could have said when the disciples said, hey, send them away. Jesus could have responded, don't worry, guys. 
I'll give them something to eat. I'll take care of this. You just sit back and let the master work. But he doesn't. And obviously, Jesus is obviously a huge part of this miracle. He's the one that does the miracle. But at the same time, he asks his disciples to partner with him and to be a part of this situation. Look, we read it earlier. It's in Mark 6.37, the first part. He said, but he answered them when they say to him, send them away. He said, you give them something to eat. You do this. You can be a part of what I want to do. Now remember the story. Jesus knows what he's going to do. Jesus understands what's going to take place. He understands the power and the authority he has to feed these people at the blink of an eye. But instead, he invites the disciples to be a part of this. He takes the situation and he turns it on his head and, in some way, and basically says, listen, listen, I want you to be a part of what I'm going to do. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. And here's the deal. When we see those words in red in, in Mark 6.37, it can almost seem kind of like, like, almost like, oh my goodness, Jesus is like, hey, you do it. You handle it. And it was a command, yes, but you need to understand, it was not only a command, but it was an invitation into the miraculous. It was an invitation of basically saying, listen, I want to do something great, and I want you to partner with me in that. You see, for some of us, we want the miraculous to happen in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our world. But we have the idea and the thought that because Jesus is the one that does the miracle, that our job is to sit back and just say, okay, God, please do this. Or it's our job to let God know that there's a situation that needs his attention. If anybody knew that the crowd needed to eat, it was Jesus. And the disciples probably are sitting there going, boy, you know, we really nailed this one. Jesus, send the crowds away, they're hungry. Captain Obvious has just spoken, you know. Jesus knows this. And when Jesus invites them to be a part of this, he basically says, listen, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to do something miraculous. I'm going to do something only I can do, but I want you to be a part of it. Do you understand the invitation that God has given you and me as his disciples? Because the invitation still stands, folks. You see, because some of us, we, we, we want the miracles, but we want to sit back and kind of just be like the crowd and basically, okay, Jesus, nail it. Okay, Jesus, hit it. Okay, Jesus, I've prepared it all. Jesus, did you know there's a need? Someone's sick, Jesus. Like Jesus is going to be up in heaven like, oh, I didn't know. Jesus, I'm glad you got me because, you know, I'm, I'll let you know what's going on. Jesus says, I'm aware of what's going on. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring our needs to the Lord. But we don't do that to inform him. We do that so that we can understand our need for him. We're acknowledging we can't do this, Jesus. And in some ways, the disciples, even though they don't really understand it, they're kind of doing that. And so Jesus basically says, hey, listen. I want you to partner. Now, think, stop for a second. This is one of those moments where you need to kind of allow the Holy Spirit 
to kind of do this. I'm going to, I'm going to visualize it. You ready? <sighs> Blow your mind. Here's why. The God of the universe, who literally could have said 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 Chick-fil-A sandwiches without pickles. Hallelujah. How to ruin a great sandwich. Put pickles on it. Sorry. My tangent. He could have done that with waffle fries and sweet tea. I'm so sorry. It's Sunday. Chick-fil-A's closed. But Monday you can go get some. Okay? He could have done that and not broken a sweat. You know what he says? Come on. Partner with me. Come on. Do something great with me. Come on. Come on. Come, come. Let's, go, let's go to the miraculous together. And listen, do not, I'll tell you right now, do not believe the lie that you are being told right now. I guarantee you by the enemy. This is, no, 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 no. No, he, he's talking about like the disciples. He's talking about like the pastors or the super duper Christians. No, no. That invitation is to you if you are following Jesus. But I'm not perfect. Doesn't matter. Neither am I. Neither were the disciples. Have you read the Gospels? It was still an invitation. The disciples were the ones that said, send them away. The disciples were the ones that say, our, our meter's full. The disciples are the ones that say, I don't want to do this. And Jesus says, you want to do something amazing? You want to join with me in a story that will be told for centuries and centuries and eternity? Come on. It was an invitation to them. And it's an invitation to us. And what's great about the invitation to the miraculous is as that invitation is extended and as we begin to accept that invitation, we begin to grow, we begin to move towards more understanding and becoming more and more like Jesus. But in this concept, in the story, he tells them something very specific. He says, you give them something to eat. You give them something. For the remainder of the service this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus in on that command, on that invitation, and ask us as we look at this, how do we obey the direction of Jesus and give them something to eat? Because whether you know it or not, you are surrounded with people who are hungry. When I look at our world and I see the things and I see people, I look at people and I go, oh my Lord, they're just so hungry. And they're trying so hard to eat so many things that is not filling and that's going to literally destroy them from the inside out. And we as believers are asked by Jesus, will you give them something to eat? And for some of us, we say, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm at my limit. I've done so much. I've done enough. But yet that, com that, that comment, that command, that invitation is still being asked of us today. So how do we obey it? How do we give people something to eat? I've written out five different things. Number one, we don't let the natural keep us from the supernatural. We don't let the natural keep us from the supernatural. Look at Mark 6, 37b. This is just after Jesus has told them you need to give them something to eat. He basically says, he, they say, you respond. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Listen, here's what's happened. Jesus has just commanded them. Listen, you're going to give them something to eat. And how did the disciples respond? Natural. In the natural. 
They said, wait a minute. They started counting the cost. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I think it says in, in Luke's or, or uh, Gospel, I'm not sure. I think it's Philip. Don't quote me on that. I think Philip is the one that is recorded basically, basically saying, hey, it's going to take eight months wages. Now, I don't know how he came up with that number. I'd love to find out. I don't know if he was guessing. But anyway, he responds in a natural way. He responds and basically, we don't have the means to accomplish the goal in the natural. And so in that idea, his response is not to look at Jesus, not to look at someone who could do the miraculous, but just simply to look in the natural and go, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. So many of us, God wants to do something above what we could do on our own, but because we refuse to allow Him to change our natural into the supernatural, we miss great mighty things that God wants to do in ours, in us and through us. Because we go, God, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just this guy, I'm just that, I'm just, I don't do this well, I don't do that well. We begin to basically do what the disciples did, is they basically say why it can't happen we're great at that aren't we i mean just think, like like we're really good at telling things why they can't take place i'm great at that i'm not always so good at basically saying you know even though there's all these things that may be prevented in the natural i have a god who operates in the supernatural i have a god who can take the natural and laughs at it. Because he's like, really? You think this is tough for me? God oftentimes, is in your notes, adds his super to our natural to do something supernatural. But for some of us, because it's so quote-unquote natural, we never offer it. We, we, we don't allow God to do something great in us and through us because we're just so, quote-unquote, natural. When God looks at us and says, listen, I've invited you. I know how natural you are, and it didn't change the invitation. Okay? Like, God knows how natural you are. God knows how natural I am, and yet the invitation is still being extended. What's that mean? It means that God knows what he's doing. And he basically says, listen, if you'll just come, I'll add it. I'll take what you already are, and we'll do something miraculous together. Something miraculous. Number two, number two, we take inventory. You say, Aaron, what, what do you mean? We take inventory. But look here, in Mark 6, the first part of verse 38, this is what it says. It says, how many loaves do you have, he asked, this is Jesus speaking, go and see, okay? Go and see. I love this part of the story, okay? So he basically is looking at his disciples, and he basically said, you're going to give them something to eat. They responded in the natural, like, no, no, how? How are we going to do this? And basically Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to take inventory. Go and see. What do you have Go and see. And here's what I have found in our li my life at times and in the lives of a lot of Christians. 
We have realized the need. We have understood the need. We may have even understood that Jesus could handle the need, and he wants us to be a part of it. But this is sometimes where the road stops. We don't take inventory. We don't always understand how many loaves we have. We're not willing to go and see. We're not willing to take the time to understand who we are and the gifts that God has given us and asked us to partner with him in. So many of us have those situations in our life where we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and all the things that, the, that God wants to do to partner with us. But if I ask many, many people, I say, listen, what are your spiritual giftings? You know what their response would be? Crickets. Or this, well, I, I play the piano. Great, that's awesome. I'm glad you play the piano. Is that your spiritual gift? I don't know. One of the things that I want you to do I'm giving you homework this week. Okay? When you came in this morning, you should have gotten this nice packet of paper. Now, listen, don't look at it right now. I was like, I'm going to talk about this, and then they're going to start going through it. This is homework. Do we understand what homework is? We do it at home. Okay? Good. It's homework. This is a spiritual gift assessment test for you. Aaron, why are you doing this? Simple. I want you to figure out what your spiritual giftings are so you can start to operate in them. That's a part of your growth. That's a part of you growing up. That's a part of you understanding these things. And here's the other thing that I want you to understand. The gift you think you have, you may not have. Let me give you an example. I knew a guy in college. The dude could sing like an angel, play the guitar, play instrument. He was amazing. And I remember meeting him one day, and I'm like, man, this guy is awesome. I was in my room. I'm walking down the hall, and I'm like going, I didn't know Gabriel, you know, the angel actually was going to my college. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, like this guy, I mean, I'm serious. Like, he could have been a professional Singer. And I walked in and I was like, hey man, how you doing? Oh, and we started talking a little bit. It was freshman year. And we're kind of talking, you know, kind of early on. I'm saying, so what, what are you majoring in? Knowing he would go, oh, I'm going to be a worship leader. He goes, I'm going to be a missionary. I said, no, 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 no. I was dumb then, I'm dumb now. I said, I don't think you understand. He said, I said, you sing so well. You play all these instruments. Are you sure? He goes, Aaron. He said, my gifting isn't worship. I said, but you're so good at it. He said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I am so good at it. And I was like, oh, he's a prideful guy. And he said, I learned a long time ago, he was a lot wiser than I was, that even though I was good at it, I would never rely on God to worship him, to be a worship leader. But I definitely need him to be a missionary. And God's called me to do that. I said, now maybe in the missions field I'll play some or do some. He said, but this is what God's called me to. It blew my mind. I remember going back to my dorm room, like, oh my goodness, maybe I should, am I supposed to be a missionary? I mean, I, yeah, I can't do that very well. You know, I don't eat weird food, so maybe that's what God's called me to do. You know, it was unbelievable. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this home. And what it is, is he's got your steps here. In this, you're having some questions, okay? And I'm not going to go through it all, 
There's 72 questions, and then you're going to add everything up, and you're going to figure out what gift. Now, what's great is not only are there 24 gifts. Did you know there are, biblically, what I think is about 24 different gifts, spiritual gifts? And each one kind of talks about what they are and some scripture verses. So after you've done your test and you've basically found out your top two, three, four, five, or whatever it is, then you go and you read about each gift. You read the scriptures on each gift. But here's the deal. Like some of these questions, you're going to be like, I know where it's leading. I dare you. That'll work. I don't know if it'll work. I dare you to answer them as honestly as you can, not trying to lead the test. Because that's easy to do. But allow it to help you take inventory. Now, this is in your packet because I, but because I don't want you to look at it. I want you to look at your notes and I want you to look at the screen. These are the 24 spiritual gifts that is on your test. Now, here's what I've done. I've done something really sneaky, sneaky, okay? You ready? You see the ones that are highlighted that you are now filling in or filling in a little few minutes ago? Every one of those, administration, faith, helps, hospitality, leadership, mercy, miracles, pastor, shepherd, service, and teaching, every single one of those were in our text this morning in Mark 6. Did you see them? I wanted you to see, because here's what I would tell you. Most people, when I talk about what spiritual gift was shown in the feeding of the 5,000, miracles, done. No, 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 no. There's a bunch more. You see, some of us forget that the gifts all work together. Remember last week? Everybody's got a part. Everyone needs to play their part. And here's the deal. The things that you see here, some things Jesus did and other things the disciples did. And when every part and every person was working in their gifts, working in the things together, miraculous things take place. So whether it be administration or discernment or service or prophecy, whatever it is, I want you to take this home and take your test and allow the Spirit to lead you and guide you so that you can take inventory. And I really believe for some of you, you're going to come back next week and go, I'm blown away. I never knew. I, maybe I never knew that was even a gift that the Spirit gives, number one. And I had no idea that, I, that that's one of the gifts that God's given me. So I, t I ask you, please, please, please take this. Do some inventory so that you know what your spiritual giftings are so that you can begin to operate in them. Number three, number three, we are willing to give our little to Jesus. We have to be willing to give our little to Jesus. Look at Mark 6, 41, the first part of this uh, verse. I'll get a drink real quick. Obviously in the story, the disciples have taken some inventory. They found five loaves and two fish. John's uh, gospel actually records the little boy's lunch. But in Mark's, we don't hear that. But basically, they take up these things. They, they basically give them to Jesus. And this is kind of what we see here. It's just taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Now, this is an important part of this story if you didn't know this. Okay? Because I believe that there's a lot of us 
who have some five loaves and some two fish. And we look down and we go, you know what? It's too little. It's not enough. And we're almost ashamed to bring it to Jesus. So Jesus, there's so many people here that need to eat. I just got this little, little amount. You know what? I'm just... I just gonna, I'm just not going to let, I'll, 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 surely, surely there'll be someone else who's got more. And so I'll just kind of, I'll just, I, I, I don't want Jesus to think I don't have enough. I don't want Jesus to think I'm too little. Whether it's little or not is not the issue. Remember, Jesus could have just made Chick-fil-A sandwiches out of nothing. I love that there's nothing that's too small for our God not to use. I love that. I love that there's nothing that God will look at and go, oh boy, you know, if you just had five loaves and three fish, man, then we'd be golden. It could have been one fish. It could have been one piece of bread. It could have been nothing. They gave their little. And when they placed it in the hands of Jesus some massively amazing things take place. Listen, if we neglect to give God our little, we may miss out on experiencing God doing something big. I believe that so strongly that there are so many people and so many churches and so many places that say, you know what, we're just too small. It's just too little. We can't make an impact. We can't make a difference. We can't change our world for Jesus. Wrong, wrong, wrong. We'll miss out if we're not even willing to give the little we have. Give your little. Give your little. And let God do something big. Number four, we must be willing to move among the people and distribute it. Look at Mark 6, the second part of verse number 41. It says, then, then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He gives them to his partners in ministry. He gives them to them, and they are the ones that go. Remember we talked about in the story earlier how they kind of got everybody situated in groups? Well, they're, they're situated, and this is just a huge area and a huge amount of people. Jesus is this one area over here. Now, of course, what could Jesus have done? Jesus could have said, I am now multiplying the fish and the bread, and I'm now making it miraculously appear in their laps. But he doesn't. He gives it to his disciples, and he says, go and give them out. Sounds very familiar to me to a scripture in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, now go to all people and make disciples. They have to move. For some of us, we're like, okay, God, you do the great thing. You do the awesome thing. Okay, oh, it's being multiplied. God's doing great things. I'll just sit here and watch. No, 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 no. We need to be people of movement. We need to be people that are willing to take what has been given to us and then take it to the people. What would have happened if basically Mark and, or not Mark, uh, John and Peter and Philip and Andrew basically like Jesus said, okay, hand it out to the people. And the people are like, oh, no, that's all mine. Like, I'm hungry too, Jesus. Like, like I, I'm glad you're multiplying all this stuff, but you know what? I want to make sure I'm taken care of 
first. Because you know what? It could run out. I mean, I, I mean, Jesus took, took five loaves and two fish, and, and yeah, somehow he's just given me more, and, and, and I'm going to love to talk to Jesus, like, how did that actually play out? Like, you know, but they were like, what if, what if, what if there's not enough? You see, when you are given something by God, and you're not willing to give it to others, there's a spiritual issue in your life that you need to look at and deal with. And it can be many, many things. But I believe this morning what God will want me to focus in on is this concept that you don't believe that God can do it all. Like, like God will do little things in your heart, in your life. Let me give you a perfect example. You believe that God will heal you when you have the flu, but you don't believe God would heal you when you have cancer. You see, the same God that heals people of the flu heals them of cancer. But sometimes we get that thought that it just won't be enough. And so I got to make sure that I'm taken care of first. And that's not what we're called to do. In fact, it's terrible stewardship to take what God has given us, given us and hold on to it. Our job, and as we're growing and moving towards maturity, is taking what God has given us and not just move with it, but begin to distribute it to others. Knowing, knowing that there will always be enough. That our God will always be enough. And so we need to be a people who when God begins to pour out in our heart and we begin to grow and mature and we start operating in our spiritual giftings and all these things that we go, God, you've given me this to give it away. Knowing that as more as I give more and more and more away that you will always fill me back up again. Always. So I give it away. I move among the people and I distribute my gifts. I distribute those miracles. I distribute the supernatural things to the people that God has placed in me or in, in, my, in my sphere of influence. Number five, last one. We celebrate what Jesus does for others while enjoying what he is doing in us and through us. Look at the, how the story ends. Mark 6, 42 through 43. It says, they all ate. And I love this part. Okay? I love this because it's one thing to eat. It's another thing entirely to eat and be satisfied. What that means is they ate all they could handle. They were satisfied. They were, they were full. Okay? They were full. They ate and were satisfied. And even after all that takes place, the disciples, who picks it up? The disciples. You see what's interesting to me? Let me stop here for just a second. The disciples were the ones who distributed it out, right? So they're out amongst the people. Jesus is not. Jesus is kind of at the front here. They're moving. They're doing all the things. They're the ones that are moving and being a partner with the miraculous things. 
And because they're the ones that are moving through the crowd, guess who picks up the 12 basketfuls left over? Some of us sit there and go, God, why aren't you doing something great in my life? Where's my basket of broken fish and broken bread? And I will answer you, it's exactly where it should be. You're not where you should be. You're not moving amongst the crowds. You're not moving and doing the things that God has called you to do where you can collect the leftovers. You say, well, 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 is that, so what do I do? You get amongst the people. You share. But look, look, they pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and of bread and fish. Now listen, I've, I've read commentaries, I've read books on this story, you know, and I've heard people, oh, isn't that a wonderful miracle? You know, there's 12 disciples and 12 basketfuls of fish. Now, maybe that's what Jesus did. I don't know. I don't know. But it sure seems to make a lot of sense, doesn't it? There just happened to be 12 baskets left over? Mm-hmm. There just happened to be 12 disciples? Mm-hmm. I love how this story ends. Because it doesn't just end with the people, the 15 to 20,000 being, being able to, to eat and be satisfied, but the disciples who were willing to partner in the miraculous each get to take home more than they started out with. Do you get that? The boy, the little boy, the, the disciples come out and they say, listen, there's, there's five loaves, two fish, and at the end of the story, 12 men walk away with 12 baskets full. Whatever you give, God is going to look at it and say, you have seen nothing yet. I'm not going to just give help and supply the needs of people and satisfy them. But when you as my disciples are out and growing and maturing and working in your spiritual gifts, you're going to be blessed beyond measure too. I love that. Because the story could have just ended. And everyone ate their full. Think about it. What does this mean? Jesus made more than was needed to feed the crowd. Because what I've learned is when we are working and doing things that the Lord has asked us to do, he will make more than enough. More than enough. He will take care of you in ways that is so amazing. And so here's the deal, like, like, you know, when it comes to serving, when it comes to working your spiritual gifts and, 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 and operating in them, whether it be here on a Sunday or, or, or on a Tuesday at, 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 you know, Starbucks or whatever, ministering and speaking with someone or having someone over to your house. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality and you just love to have people over and just share life with them. So you say on Saturday, hey, we're going to have this, whatever those things are, yeah, I want that for you. But I want them in ways that you don't sometimes understand because I know how this works. And you hear pastors, oh, you need to serve. Oh, you need to be busy. Oh, you need to be operating your spiritual gifts. And I totally agree with that. But there's a reason sometimes people miss. And that is serving is not something I want from you. It's something I want for you. I want it for you. Remember. God could have Chick-fil-A'd it. But he invites us to be a part. 
Not because necessarily God says, I can't do this miracle without you. He basically says, I don't want to do this miracle without you. That's a big difference. He wants you to be a part because he knows how it not just affects those around you that are hungry, but how it affects you and how it helps you to grow and move towards maturity in him. And I pray for you guys all the time that you'll grow. And I know one of the ways that we can grow is when we begin to serve, when we begin to operate in these spiritual giftings that God has given us. And it's so important. And I want that for you. I want that in your life because I know that when you do those things, if you'll follow me, I think you'll get it. When you do those things, you're going to find in your life there's going to be baskets full left over. Baskets full. Let's close this morning by looking at Mark, Mark 10. Mark 10, verses 42 through 45, it says this. It says, so Jesus called them together, His disciples, and He said, as we close this morning, it's like, I want us to kind of think in that way. You know, we're closing our message, we're, we're closing this idea, and we have our test, and we're all ready. But I want us to kind of think of, of that. Jesus is now calling us all together. He's bringing us all together to kind of tie a bow to this message and this is what he says you know that the rulers in this world love to lord it over their people the officials flaunt their authority over those under them and look at verse 43 but among you it will be different now listen this is an interesting statement here. This isn't a, it could be different. It should be different. I'd really like it to be different. Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, it will be different. That's different. And for some of us, we kind of think that this is an optional thing. Let's look at what Jesus says will be different. He said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave to everyone else. That's powerful language, folks. Powerful language. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we grow, as we move towards maturity, one of the goals, one of the measuring sticks in a lot of ways is to see how much we're like our Jesus. And Jesus basically says, listen, it will be different among my followers. And why does it look different? Because he basically says, listen, if the Son of Man, if even I have come to serve, how should you respond? How should you live? And Jesus takes it one step further, just to pound the point a little bit more home. He says, and to give his life. 
So it's interesting here. We see a progression in this scripture. We see first the idea of a servant. What's a servant? A servant is someone who willingly does something for someone else, okay? And then we see a slave. What's a slave? A slave is someone who may not necessarily willingly do it, but they're still doing it. And then we see someone that's willing to die. So what's that mean for you and me? I'll tell you. Sometimes when we serve, we'll be thrilled to do it. Okay? We'll be thrilled to do it. Other times, we're not going to be so thrilled. <laughs> you're going to be at your people limit. You're going to be like the disciples. and be like, just send them away. But yet we do it anyway. And finally, there are going to be times, spiritually speaking, Jesus obviously did it in the physical as well, where you're going to have to die. It's interesting to me that Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, you're going to have to pick up your cross daily and follow me. For some of us, there's some areas, spiritually speaking, that we need to just, we're happy to serve in. It's great. We love it. It's great. And, and, and that's great. That's awesome. Don't misunderstand me. For others of us, there's some times where we will we'll be a servant, but listen, hear me here. We won't be a slave. And what I mean by that, we'll only serve when it's convenient for us. And for some of us, there's no such thing as dying to ourselves. When it is really to be a follower of Christ, we're supposed to do that daily. Is it hard? Yes. <laughs> is it easy? No. It's hard to be a servant. It's hard to be a slave. It's hard to die. But yet, if we're going to grow and become more like Jesus, if we're going to move towards maturity, operate in our spiritual gifts, if we're going to be willing to, to answer the call from, from, from to, to move into the miraculous, we're going to have to be willing to do what Jesus did for us, for others. And it's not easy. But at the same time, it is something that can literally change not just our lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Let's take a few minutes and let's just bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's just focus as we kind of close this morning. Man, I, I would have loved you just kind of to be a, one of those people in, in that crowd, you know, or just been a fly on the wall, you know what I mean? Just to watch that unfold. And there's a lot of times in my life where I, I'll think that way. I'll go, boy, it would be really neat to see this or see that. See David and Goliath or see Jesus coming out of the tomb. Or, I mean, just amazing moments. And do you realize that although those stories are amazing and incredible and, yeah, they'd be awesome to see, that God wants those types of miraculous moments to be a part of your story too? Like, John didn't 
period, the end of Revelation, and go, okay, now God's going to do nothing for the next thousands of years. Like when we read the book of Acts, and we've talked about this before, that the book of Acts really doesn't end because it's still going on. And the miraculous things that you see in the book of Acts, God still can do and is doing. Not just can, is. Right now, in 2023, he's doing those types of things. And he is still inviting his disciples to partner with him in those areas. But for some of us, we just decided to send the crowds away. And what's awesome about Jesus, among thousands of things, is even though the disciples, hear this, even though the disciples were spent, tired, all those things, even though the disciples are the ones that just send them away, Jesus, Jesus still said, partner with me. You give them something to eat. Remember, Jesus did the miracle. The disciples couldn't do anything. <laughs> just like you and me. But they played their part and Jesus played his. And for some of us, we forget our part. And because of that, we don't see the miraculous in our hearts and our lives because we think we have to do it instead of just allowing Jesus to. Some of us don't really never take an inventory you know what's great about the story is, is certain disciples, and it doesn't list them out, but I guarantee you, I mean, you think about how this would have worked. Certain disciples got the people to sit down and got them into order. Probably some handed out the food. Some went back and said, okay, this is how much we need. Everybody had kind of probably a little bit of a different role. Jesus obviously was the center of it all because he's the one who multiplied it all. But I bet you each disciple had a little bit something different to do. And when they all played their part, when they all allowed the spiritual giftings that maybe they had to be used in the hands of their father, in the hands of Jesus, thousands were fed. And fed until they were satisfied. For some of us, where we're at in our spiritual journey and where our growth is, is we've kind of hit a roadblock in some areas because we haven't begun to move into this area of our lives. We've been kind of feeding, maybe on the word, and that's great, obviously, and feeding on other things, but, but here's the deal. Let's just think of it physically. If all you did was eat and you didn't move, if you didn't get among the people, if this makes sense, you would not be healthy. You see, God gives us things from his word and through prayer and all those sort of things. So even if we have a little thing, he can multiply it so we can give it out. And part of us have missed that part of our growth, part of our moving towards maturity. And God wants us to see that this morning 
and allow him to begin to move us in that direction again. For some of you, it's going to start with taking this test, this assessment, if you, if you like that word better. For some of us, it's going to have to be where we just remind it again that, you know what, I know we're tired. I know it's hard. I know those things. But at the same time, can you imagine what a refreshing it must have been to be a part of something that miraculous? So yeah, rest is important. Don't misunderstand me there's also something life-giving about being a part of a great, mighty thing that God does. And maybe for some of us, we're lacking that in our heart and our lives, and we desperately need it. So wherever you're at, and there's a lot here, I know that. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just reveal to you in your heart where you are at. Maybe you need to get moving in your spiritual giftings again. Maybe you need to discover what they are. Maybe you have that, you know what that gifting is, but man, you've kind of held it to yourself. And it's time. It's time to begin to move. You give them something to eat knowing that the God who commands you to do so will take care of the miracle to make it happen. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, you're so good. And we thank you so much for loving us and taking care of us. God, we know, as it says in Scripture, that each one, we talked about it last week, so we didn't get into it too much this week. Each one of us has been given gifts from you. Each one of us has been asked as your disciples to give those around us something to eat. Knowing that God, when we partner with you, you'll take our natural and make something supernatural happen. You'll take our little and do something big. Not because of us, but because of you. And so Father, no matter if we have never operated in our spiritual gifts, never known what they are, held them to ourselves. Father, I pray that this week, this time, there would be a new awakening in all of us to that command. That each of us would know God has called me, not just the pastor, not just this person or that person, but me, little old me, to give people something to eat knowing, God, that you'll equip us, knowing that you will do the miracle, knowing that you will be right there with us. So, God, wherever we're at, wherever we're at on this journey of growth and discovery and understanding in this particular area, wherever we are, let that command and that invitation ring in our ears. You give them something to eat. When we go to lunch after this and we're sitting there with the, the, the waiter or the waitress and we just have that, that moment in our spirit where we know they're hurting and we hear that word, you give them something to eat. When we go home and maybe we're talking to a family member on the telephone and you know they're going through a hard time or they're dealing with something, that that word, you give them something to eat. 
that just would ring, not as a condemnation in any way, shape, or form, but as an invitation to partner with you into the miraculous. Help us, Father. Help us. We know you'll do your part. Help us to do ours so that we can grow, move towards maturity, and allow you not just to change the people's lives around us, but also change us as well. We love you and we thank you. You're so good and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, listen, I hope you have a wonderful week. Make sure you take your, your assessment. I'm sorry, I shouldn't use the word test. People don't like tests. Your assessment. There's not a right or wrong answer here. Take your assessment home. If you didn't get one, there's some out there in the foyer. Make sure you get one. Fill them out. And if you are online and you go, well, Aaron, I, I, I don't have an assessment. Let me know. Call me. Email me. I can email you the assessment so that you can have it as well. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.